you believe that demons are real. Well, you're right, they are. I tell people uh, Jesus believed in demons, so I think it's a good thing that I believe they're real too, and I do. Our text for this morning is Matthew 8, 28 to 34. Matthew 8, 28, I'm sorry, yeah, Matthew 8, 28 to uh, 34. We've talked about demons before because Jesus has been talking about them and dealing with them in people's lives when they uh, are uh, demonized by them or causing problems for them. Uh, and I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. So, demons, or they can be called evil spirits, they can be called ghosts, they can be called all kind of apparitions. Uh, but what I want you to know, here's something I want you to know, because I'm tired of running into this with people. When somebody dies, they do not have the choice to hang around earth and mess with their relatives or talk to their, their ex-spouse or their used-to-be spouse or anything like that. If, uh, if somebody appears to you after they have died, that is not that person. That is a familiar spirit, a demonic spirit that knows that person enough that they can, uh, they can look like that person and they can know things that person knew. And these come and they talk to people and try to bring comfort to them. You just need to know. You need to rebuke that and get rid of it because that is not that person. They don't come back. That's a familiar spirit, a demon, who is pretending to be that person. And you don't want to take comfort in that. And you don't want that to get your focus off of Jesus Christ. So they go by lots of different names and, and identified in different ways. But they are angels that God created. He didn't create them to be demons. He didn't create them to be evil and wicked. He created them good. But their leader, Satan, one day decides, I would like the worship that's going to Yahweh to go to me. And he was uh, the highest in God's court. He, was a cher he is a cherub angel, which means he has six wings and four faces, just like Michael the archangel does. He is, he is satanic in that he rebelled against God. Pride filled his heart. And God kicked him out of heaven. And that's all in uh, Ezekiel chapter 28. Not the first part, but the second part. Not about the leader of Tyre, but the king of Tyre, who is clearly a cherub-class angel who was kicked out of heaven, if you want to read about that later. Uh, when Satan was kicked out, according to the book of Revelation, he got enemies to go with him. And according to what it says in Revelation, the great dragon, Satan, swept a third of the angels from heaven. In other words, a third of the angels turned rogue on Jesus and they turned into demons and the rest of them stayed as good angels. We call those elect angels of God because that's what the Bible calls them. Today, I'm talking to you about demons, evil spirits, phantoms, whatever you want to call them. Well, they rebelled against the rule of God and they were cast out of their position in glory. Uh, they used to be able to be a part of God's uh, program in heaven, and they walked with God, they were in fellowship with God, and then Satan rebelled, and they made a decision to leave God. A third of them did. Satan, their leader, has been thrown down out of his position in heaven. I'm talking about the Ezekiel 28 position, thrown out. And what that's saying is that well, that day when God said, uh, pride filled your heart, and you're wanting things you shouldn't want, and you have to leave your position in heaven. It does not mean that Satan doesn't traffic between heaven and earth all the time. He does. All you have to do is read the book of Job, and you find out in the book of Job that it says, And there came a day when the sons of God, meaning the angels, presented themselves before the throne. 
And so the uh, demonic spirits and good angels all meet sometimes in front of the throne of God, and God gives his marching orders. If you want to see a glimpse of heaven and how that works, and the fact that there are demons there that are, that are before God that have to do what God says and can only do what God says. Satan can only do what God says. He can do no more. So Satan goes and he says uh, to God, yeah, yeah, I've considered your servant Job. You bought him. You paid him off. Job serves you because you have covered that guy over with riches. And God says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, you, I'll let you take those riches away and let's see what he does. And you know the story how that, how that went, that account in the Bible, that uh, God let Satan do that three different times, and never once did Job turn on God. In fact, uh, Job says, God is given, he's taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, in 1 Kings 22, Micaiah saw a scene in heaven where God was planning to send one of the kings of Israel to his death, and he calls, uh, he calls Micaiah to go talk to the king, to Ahab, and he tells him what he saw. And that makes the king mad, so the king throws him in jail. But what he does is he takes you to a heavenly scene in 1 Kings 22, and you see God makes a statement to the good angels and the bad angels, and he said, I am sending Ahab to his death. How shall he go? And one angel said this, and another angel said that, and then another one stepped forward and said, I will, I will uh, go out and, and uh, put in the hearts of his prophets to ask him to go up to this battle. At Ramoth Gilead, I'll ask him to go up. And all of his prophets will say that. And the Lord says, how are you going to do that? He says, I will go out and be a deceiving prophet, a deceiving mouth, in the, I'm sorry, a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all those prophets. Now, I need you to understand something. A, a, an elect angel, a good angel, would never volunteer to be deceptive. Never. That was a demonic spirit that did that. And God said, go, and you will have success. You can read it, 1 Kings 22. And so... Uh, he goes, and sure enough, he talks to all the prophets that are prophesying for Ahab, and they're all saying, the Lord says, go up, and you'll have victory. They bring Micaiah in, and somebody tells him on the way in, look, he wants to talk to somebody who talks for Yahweh. Here's what all the other prophets are saying, just so you know what to say. And he says to this guy, you need to know that whatever God tells me to say is what I'm going to say, and I'm not going to go along with your prophets just because you tell me that's what they're saying. So he gets in there, and he's being a little bit sarcastic, and the king says, what, is, what does Yahweh say? And he says, yeah, go up, have fun, you'll do well, you'll live. And the king knows he's being sarcastic. He says, how many times do I have to tell you in the name of Yahweh, tell me the truth? He says, you want the truth? I'll tell you the truth. Basically, the message is, you're a dead man. And the king doesn't like it, so he throws him in prison. Angels are interacting with each other. There's war in heaven. Daniel tells us that this angel took 21 days to answer a prayer that God sent him to answer to Daniel, because, answer for Daniel because he was in, in a battle with the kings of Persia. And he's talking about demonic princes over the, over the land of Persia. And he says, not until Michael, your prince, came to help me was I relieved from the battle so I could go and bring this message to you, Daniel. And we also learn in Daniel that there is a council of God. Psalm 82 talks about the council of God. There's good angels and bad angels on that council. And God condemns the bad angels in that, in that passage. He said, you're not doing with your nations what I asked you to do. And you may be called gods, but you will die like men. He means suffering in hell for what you've done. There's a whole world out there, and there's a whole battle out here. I believe that demons are what's behind UFOs and what, what the little people are that appear to people. That's also demonic. I think that's going to be used in the end time. So when the rapture happens, people are going to say, well, the UFO people took them out of the way because the church is hindering us and they get in our way of our progress and we would just as soon remove them. 
Well, it's been around a long time. And Jesus' day was, was no different. So Satan was completely thrown out of heaven. He lost his position. But he can still go there and talk to God until Revelation 12. When God says, you're done. You're not coming back here to talk to me anymore. And God lets Michael and his angels, Michael the archangel and his angels, war against Satan and the demons, and they kick Satan out of heaven for good. And now he can't traffic between heaven and earth. And when he gets thrown down to earth, and that's where he has to stay, then, if, if, uh, if you will, all hell breaks loose on earth as he goes after God's children and uh, goes after people to kill them. Literally a hell on earth. Do demons believe in God? Of course they do. They've known God since he created them thousands and thousands of years ago. They don't die. They can be thrown in a prison, but not all of them. Demons believe in God. Jesus' half-brother James wrote in James 2.19, uh, really it's the second part of the verse, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe in shudder. So you can say, well, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah. Well, what's that mean to you? Because demons believe in Jesus and they shudder. They're not going to heaven. It's more than just having a knowledge of who God is and who Jesus is. It is, am I trusting him for my salvation? Am, am I trusting him to forgive me of my sins? Demons don't do that. They can't do that. But if we say we, we know Jesus, it means we had to have done that. Demons know exactly who Jesus is, and they, and they knew that long before uh, Genesis 1.1. They fear Jesus, and they hate him with an utmost of hatred. I've heard things uh, that demons have said about Jesus Christ that would make your skin crawl. And they are nasty, and they are hateful, and they hate Jesus. And by the way, they hate you too, if you know Jesus. They work night and day to defile his creation and hinder God's will. Demons like to be inside of bodies. They like to be embodied in the bodies of people mostly. They take sinful ground in people. In other words, if we go out and sin, they can take ground in my flesh or an unbeliever. They can take ground in the flesh of that person and they can uh, help control their problem. As you know, I had my, one of my problems I had was an anger issue. And I'd start with this much anger and then all of a sudden, because I was getting spiritual help from an enemy, uh, I, would, I would just let a whole truckload of anger come out. Now I'm destroying people around me, causing problems with other people. And uh, that, that's not what you know pastors are supposed to be like, really. So God helped me with that. They exacerbate those sin issues in us and they steal life, they kill life, and they destroy life. They're all about abortion. That's what they're into. And they really, they really want that to happen. They're, they're all for killing the un, unborn. Whenever a demon has said something in my presence about uh, a lady who uh, had an abortion, they always say, she killed someone. They know it's a person. But they're there to kill, steal, and destroy, John 10, verse 10. The genealogical record of many human families is an account of the generational work to destroy the lives of people. Evil spirits are still doing their work today to destroy both pagan and Christian families by taking advantage of our sin and our rebellion against God, just like what Satan did. Now I want to read our text in Matthew 8. Jesus has been at Capernaum, and uh, they get in a boat, and they're heading to uh, the eastern, upper eastern, so northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. When he, that is Jesus, when he came to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, and your Bibles may have Gergesa or some other name there, but uh, it's known by about three different names. My Bible has the Gadarenes. Two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were extremely violent, 
that, or so that no one could pass by that way. So he's coming to a place where there's tombs, that's holes in the rocks where people carve out tombs, and uh, they have this cemetery, if you will, and they've kind of taken it over. And people don't go there or bury their dead there, even though they spent a lot of money on a tomb because these guys beat them up and tear them to shreds. So violent, no one could pass that way, verse 29. And they cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before? Notice what the text says, the time. Not, not a time, but the time. They have a particular judgment in view that they know is coming, but they're saying, we think it's a little too early. Have you come to judge us before the time? Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. The demons began to entreat him, Jesus, saying, if you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, go. And they came out of these two men, and they went into the swine, and the whole herd rushed down on a steep bank into the sea, and they perished in the waters. The herdsmen ran away, and they went to the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city came out and met Jesus, and when they saw him, they implored him. Notice, that's the same word that the demons used to implore Jesus. It's, it's just short of a command. They implored him to leave their region. Get out of here. We don't want you. And I think the reason they didn't want him is something we'll talk about in just a few minutes. What I would like to do is let you see what really is going on in everything happening here. So we're going to turn to the synoptic gospels. We're going to look at the way that Mark and Luke talked about this very same event. They add some information, and some of the information Matthew has, they don't have. So I'm going to go through a list of things so we can get a full picture of what was actually going on, not just from Matthew's point of view, which Matthew's story is, is true and accurate, and it gets his point across, but... I think it'd be interesting to hear what else is going on. So this is a synoptic gospel account, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We can discover what all was happening there. First of all, Jesus and the disciples take a boat from near Capernaum, remember, which is where he was making a hometown for a little while, where Peter is from, to the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Gadarenes, also the Gerasenes from a nearby town called Gersa. And so uh, they were called Gadarenes. Two demonized men meet Jesus, having come out of the cave, uh, a cave-like burial tomb uh, that they lived in, and they were naked. So in other words, some of these tombs that had been carved out in the rock or were natural caves, that's where they made their home. And uh, one of them was, and they're naked, one of them was the spokesman for the two. Now, not everybody that tells the account says there were two people, but there is. And they're both extremely violent men. Why? Because they're demonized and, they're, and demons have complete control of them. The spokesman, in other words, the one, the one demoniac that talked, and it, it's not this person that's talking to Jesus, it's the demon inside of him who is the lead demon, the head demon. See, demons, if they congregate inside of a person, there's always a lead demon, a head demon, and then there's other lesser demons underneath them in rank. And that's called a cadre, a collection of, a group of demons. So the lead demon uh, is the one who's going to be the spokesman. Now, they were both extremely violent men. The spokesman was more violent than the other, according to the accounts. Their violence 
kept the graveyards from having burials, okay? So if this was happening out here at Fairview Cemetery, and every time you go out there, you're going to get attacked by two guys that are completely possessed by demons, and they rip people apart and tear them apart because they have supernatural demonic strength, we probably would stop having burials at Fairview. And I'm sure people paid big money to have a, a, a cave cut out for a family tomb. Now they can't even use it because everybody's afraid to go there. Their violence kept the graveyard from having burials. They were at one time able to be captured years ago, but later they could break the chains and the shackles and escape. And the texts say no one could subdue them. And that word subdue in the text means to tame a wild animal. Nobody could tame these guys. They're, they're that violent. And you chain them up and they just break the chains and they're gone. They continually screamed things, probably not good things, right? Uh, probably, probably bad things. And they gashed themselves with stones. Satan has no regard for the image of God in us. You and I should have a regard for the image of God. We should do everything we can with our, with our bodies to get back to what God created us to be with Adam and Eve and not cut ourselves, all right? I have a lot of friends that deal with youth, and I, I'm a believer that 98% of our youth are cutting themselves. And that's a high number. It's too high. And uh, that's not a good thing. It, it is marring the image of God. Uh, therefore, uh, they promoted cutting or marring the image. The demon, the head demon knew that Jesus was the son of the most high God. Why? Well, because he's seen, he's seen him a number of times before when the sons of God present themselves before the throne and God uh, gives his marching orders, tells them what they can and cannot do, who they can touch and who they can't touch and how much they can mess with somebody and how much they can't. And that's Yahweh, the most high God. And the head demon of the cadre is speaking to Jesus. He denies Jesus should be having anything to do with he and his friend, uh, in other words, all the other demons, at this time. He implored Jesus, which is in Greek very close to a command. He's getting a little pushy with Jesus. Don't do that. Don't, don't send us out of this place unless we can go somewhere we want to go. He did, it, he did it by invoking the name of God. He says, I adjure you by God in Mark 5, 7, not to do this to us. They bowed to Jesus, but they were not worshiping him. He indicated that if Jesus is there to judge, he's not doing it at the appointed time. Somehow he knew this was not the appointed time of their judgment. And they told him not to torture them, which apparently Jesus could do either one of those, and they couldn't stop him because he's more powerful than they are. They recognized Jesus' authority over them. The spokesman, uh, the head demon, was most likely the, the leader uh, in the cadre of demons, and he, when Jesus asked, what is your name? He said, we are legion. We are legion. That means between the two guys, a Roman legion is 6,000 enemies. That means there's 6,000 demons in these two guys. All right, in theology, they used to talk about how many demons or how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. <laughs> I don't know, but I know that there's about 2,000 in each of these guys. The demons did not want to be disembodied. They don't want to be outside of a body. Uh, they sought uh, the bodies of the pigs. There was a, a, a couple of herders, maybe more than that, a little distance away, and uh, they have uh, some, some swine over there. The text tells us that there was 2,000 swine grazing with herdsmen watching them. So pigs are considered unclean in the Old Testament, so uh, something that the Jews couldn't have around. So we go back to... Uh, Leviticus chapter 11, I'm trying to get there right now, 
I've got a lot to say this morning, so I'm going a little bit fast, so hang in there with me. Leviticus 11.7, he's talking about what is unclean, animals that are forbidden. And he says, and the pig, for though it divides the hoof, thus making a split hoof, it does not chew the cud. It is unclean to you. So we're in an area where Israelis are, but Decapolis, which is uh, above, if we have the Dead Sea here, it's over on the northeast side, and this whole area is mostly Gentiles. Decapolis means the ten cities, and uh, that's, that's what we're uh, talking about, the people from those ten cities. Uh, they were probably, more than likely, supplying meat for the people that lived in the cities of Decapolis. Now, the demons do not, do not want to be disembodied, which doesn't seem to be true with territorial demons. So uh, when somebody buys a new house or they're renting, I give them a command they can use from God, uh, a command uh, by God and his power to remove any territorial enemies from that particular property. Noel and I did that out on our farm one day. And you don't have to drive all over the farm. You just take your stand somewhere there and you do it. Because uh, if there's any territorial stuff there, I don't want it. Anyway, these don't want to be disembodied until the judgment. And that made me wonder, and I don't have an answer for it, but I wonder if people in hell can be indwelt by demons in hell. Wouldn't that be kind of a double whammy? You're already in hell, and then demons are also doing that to you there. I don't know. Anyway, they asked to be sent into the, into the swine. Jesus gave permission and told them, go. Now, Jesus had been saying to them, according to Mark 5, 8, he had been telling them You're, to get out, come out of him, you unclean spirit. And they've been resisting. They've been flexing their muscle. Uh, they're trying to show that they don't have to. And uh, they're also very much aware that they are talking with the king of kings here, and they're going to go. So they're just looking for any way out. Hey, there's, some, there's 2,000 head of hogs over there. Let's let him you know, have us go in there. Do they want to be in hogs? No. But it's a way to get away from Jesus. It's also a way for them to indicate that you don't want Jesus in your town. You don't want Jesus over here. Because I can't imagine the economic loss of 2,000 uh, hogs that just go over this cliff. Now, by the way, it's not really a cliff. There's only one place on the eastern side of Galilee where there's a hill like that where they could come down. It's not, not really that big, maybe not more than the height of the ceiling in here. And it, it's a gradual slope coming down. And then it's about 100 yards to the sea. So they didn't run to a cliff and just fall off. They ran, they went down over, and they ran right into the sea. Obviously, they're being controlled, right? So uh, both men uh, were healed instantly when Jesus told them to go. No longer violent. They're clothed now. They're in their right minds and normal. See, sometimes what we call psychological problems are really demonic problems. Sometimes when people are dealing with things that look to be uh, things that the psychiatrist should have are really things that are demonically inspired. In my understanding of working with people, about 80% of those with schizophrenia have demons talking through them and to them, and it's a spiritual thing. 20% need to see a psychiatrist and get medication for schizophrenia that's not imposed by demons. The herd went out, uh, went to the the herdsmen went to the town and the countryside. They told everyone what happened. Mostly Gentiles lived there. All, uh, they all were afraid, and they told Jesus they wanted Jesus to leave. The man exercised, the man exercised, uh, in other words, the demons were cast out of him, asks, can I follow you, Jesus? Can I be a disciple? And Jesus says, no. Jesus denies it. You can't be a disciple. However, instead, Jesus commissions him to be a missionary to the Gentile region of Decapolis, 
And the man complied, and he started bearing witness to the things that Jesus had done for him and, and the way God was gracious to him to release him from this demonic control. And Jesus is the one that turns enemies into friends and devout followers. So interestingly, I think that the demons were trying to put on a show, kill these hogs to keep uh, people from wanting Jesus to come into their territory because they're more interested in economics than they are that two men got healed from this horrible uh, infestation of demons. And so Jesus cannot go in there anymore. But he has a secret agent he can send in. He has one of their own that he can send in with an unbelievably miraculous account. So Jesus sends a missionary. Jesus doesn't have to go everywhere. He sends his children to those places. Well, despite the fact that pigs are actually good swimmers, and they are, they all drowned in the sea. The demons were then free to go to try embody other people. Did you get that? Jesus could have sent them to the abyss, a prison for spiritual demons. He could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, he sent them into the swine. They kill the swine, and then they go somewhere else. What do you think they're looking for? They're looking to be embodied in somebody else. That's what they're looking for. The Gadarenes were probably sending Jesus away more so because he posed a threat to their economy than they were being afraid of his power. Some probably were afraid of his power. Jesus is rejected by them because of his values in life and his spirituality, because he values human beings more than he does 2,000 hogs. He, he values, uh, uh, he would take economic loss over the loss of two people that he could heal. And so he does it. And they uh, used the same word, implored, for what the demon used when he was trying to get Jesus not to send him away. He's almost commanding him. And the people do that here. I want you to see that from the time we started here, even back in verse 16, and uh, what happened on the Sea of Galilee with it being, you know, uh, the storm coming up, Jesus uses words that have to do and touch with the demonic world. They're in opposition to Jesus. They're fighting Jesus. Let's keep him out of Decapolis. Let's, let's get, him, get rid of him. And there they use another word that ties it in with this, that the demons probably had something to say about that. Well, that's the full account of what happened from all the Gospels. In verses 28 to 29, two demonized and violent men meet Jesus, fearing he will torment them. So in verse 28, two demonized Gentile men in the region of Gersa met Jesus and they were coming as they were coming out of tombs that were near the Sea of Galilee. And Dr. Blomberg said this, demonization, which is a, a biblical rendering, it's not really possession, the Bible doesn't really say that, it says to be demonized. Demonization involves the indwelling of unseen evil spirits in a way that prevents an individual from fully controlling his or her own actions. Exorcists abounded in ancient Judaism and, and the Greco-Roman religions, but Jesus displays a unique directness, immediacy, and efficacy when he kicks them out. In the other accounts, Mark and Luke, only one demonized man is talked about, uh, but uh, the one there is also probably that spokesman. We heard him talking in our passage. Demon possession uh, is more correctly thought of as demonization. A demon can't possess a Christian who belongs to God. They can't own him, but in our sinful flesh, they can take up a base of operation and work because of our sin. 
They were living in the rocks where small rooms were naturally carved out as uh, burial tombs. And maybe they were in the tombs that were occupied uh, with people's bones or rotting bodies, if there were some, or maybe they were not used yet or were no longer used. We don't know. So they're extremely violent, and no one could pass by the cemetery or they would be beaten and injured. Uh, my former Greek professor, uh, Dr. John Grasmick, said this, such behavior shows that demon possession is not mere sickness or insanity, but a desperate satanic attempt to distort and destroy God's image in man. God's image in man, that's why they're having them cut themselves. The Bible says not to cut yourself. How would you like to have bought a tomb there? Now you can't use it. Lots of money. You'd be upset. Demons promote violence in their hosts. Not only in their hosts, but they want the host to be violent with other people around them. That's what they do. They steal, kill, and destroy. Verse 29, they indicate that there's no justification for Jesus judging them at that moment. They don't want to go to the abyss, period. So they seem to be asking if he has come to torment them uh, before the time. And uh, they're saying that's why we're not going to go. Uh, they'd have to go anyway if he told them. But they recognize Jesus as their judge and believe he is early if he's come to torment them, meaning to subject them, according to the Greek word there, to subject them to a judicial procedure. And by the way, uh, the Bible mentions that Christians will sit on councils and judge demons in, uh, in the next, in the next uh, stage of God's uh, kingdom. And Paul said, don't you know that you will judge demons? Well, I didn't know that until you told me, but yeah, we know it now. So they recognize what many people do not, that Jesus is the Son of God. They apparently know something about the timing of their appointed uh, judgment. These are the ones that said, uh, James said of them, you believe, even demons believe and shudder. Your belief has to be different than theirs. Then in verses 30 to 32, the demons get permission to enter the pigs, after which they kill them in the sea. It is noted in verse 30 by Matthew that there was a herd of pigs a distance from the meeting. It doesn't say how far. In the Synoptic Gospels, we learn that, in fact, there's 2,000 head of pigs in a herd that they're talking about. This gives the cadre leader of the demons an idea. Demons don't like to be disembodied. So he says to Jesus, how about you send us into those pigs? The demons implore, almost demand that he send them into the hogs as opposed to sending them to the abyss, which would mean they're being judged and their activity would be done until the abyss is opened uh, in the tribulation. Since Jesus is going to cast them out, they'd like to go into the swine. Can animals be demonized? Yes. <laughs> Obviously, they didn't have any trouble doing that. And I knew a particular Holstein, Holstein bull that I uh, think was demonized. His name was Choice, and thank, thank goodness he's dead, so I'm glad of that. Uh, Psalm 30, I'm sorry, verse 32, Jesus commands them to go, and they instantly leave and go into the pigs. Noel and I saw the only place on the eastern shore in Galilee where that could have happened. There is no other hill anywhere uh, near, near the shore there except this one place, and there's a flat place unless there's been, uh, you know, the sea has gone down or something, but they didn't say it had, but anyway... Uh, this could have happened, just like the Bible says. The whole herd rushed down the bank and perished in the sea. You get that? 6,000 demons, legion, in two people. Right? Maybe 2,000 apiece. I don't know how they divided up, or, or I mean 3,000 apiece, okay? 
I don't know why, but why did they have to run the whole herd off the edge of the cliff? If they can all gather together and, and you know, thousands be in one person, they didn't have to do that to all those pigs, did they? There had to be more than one in a lot of them. They killed the whole herd. And I think the purpose is to make the townspeople mad at Jesus for taking away this income, and we don't want this kind of man in our, in our, t in our cities, our, our ten cities. Anyway, the Bible doesn't say that. That's just my guess. Uh, they didn't need to kill the whole herd, but demons are destructive and trying to make their owners upset and mad at Jesus, which demons do today. It ends up a demonstration of what Jesus was really dealing with and his great authority, 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. Jesus placed these two men's lives as being more important than economic loss, more important than animals. Do we have that, do we have that sense in us? Is, is that what we go by? The people are the most important things on earth, and they're worth, they're worth a, lot of, a lot of hardship and cost and work to reach. I hope so. I think it's taught here. And then verses 33 to 34. After Jesus' miraculous healing of these men, the local people reject him. Had nothing to do with him. Verse 33, the herdsmen, not the two demoniacs, former demoniacs, the herdsmen now run away to report to everyone what just happened. They're probably thinking they're going to be in trouble, too. You know, I sent you out with a herd of 2,000 hogs, and you come back with nothing. You would expect that they would be so overjoyed that these men, who everybody knows, everybody knows they're violent, everybody knows they can break chains, everybody knows they're afraid of them, they would be so overjoyed that these men are healed that they could let the pigs be a small payment for what happened to these two men. And you'd be wrong. That's not how they felt. They were upset. You would think they could recognize that the kingdom of God was already encroaching on the world, but they didn't get that point either. The folks uh, had to weigh what was more important, and it turns out the pigs are more important. So in verse 34, as we, uh, let me read that again, and behold, the word behold usually alerts us to something we need to pay attention to, the whole city, so everybody's involved, came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they implored him. There's that word that's been used by the demons. They implored him to leave their region. We don't want your kind here. We know from the synoptics that Jesus sends the man to be a missionary who had the lead demon in him to the Gentiles in that region, to Decapolis. And this is the first specific mention of a Gentile mission in Jesus' ministry. They rejected Jesus, but Jesus sends an inside man with an incredible account of God's grace and salvation. And they didn't want to be infiltrated, but they're going to be. And nobody can deny what's happened with this man. Well, <clears throat> exciting stuff, huh? By way of application... Number one, I want you to remember that Jesus permitted the demons to go free. You would think that Jesus would imprison and incarcerate every single demon on earth so that we wouldn't have all the problems we do, but he doesn't. Because God uses them as a part of his plan to manipulate the events of the world and to sovereignly control the events of the world so the world ends up exactly where he says it's going to go. And he uses the enemy to do it. That should tell you a little bit about the fact that the enemy doesn't have all the power they're always ranting and raving about that they have. They still have to do what Jesus said. 
Satan wanted to do way more to Job than what God let him, but he didn't do, he didn't cross the line that God drew for him. You can do this to Job, but you can't do anything more. And he, he abided by that. But it was Satan that did that to Job. It was Satan that gave Paul uh, a thorn in the flesh. It says, a messenger of Satan, so I don't exalt myself. God uses them. They're not good. They're evil. God doesn't, uh, God doesn't sin. Demons will sin. Number two, sin in our lives as Christians opens the door for demons to build a base of operation in us and take advantage of our sin. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, which I think you would agree with me, was written to Christians, right? Anybody know it was Ephesians written to Christians? Yeah, it sure was. And it says in 4, 26 and 27, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath and thereby give a place or a room to the devil. Why would you warn Christians about that if there's no worry for it? Well, there is a worry for it. You know what you do? You take care of the sin in your life and the enemy will flee. You send him away and you keep short accounts with God and you keep track of uh, whether you're in sin or not and you take care of it. That's what you do. Thirdly, even demons believe. Jesus is who he said he is, and they shudder. The real issue is, is your faith, is your belief more than what the demons have? Do you just believe, oh yeah, I think the Bible says there was a Jesus, and he's the savior of the world, and he died on the cross, and all that stuff. Yeah, I, I believe there was a real guy named Jesus, I, I think, you know. I've heard other people say no, but yeah, I believe that. That kind of faith is not going to get you in heaven. That's not what it's about. A lot of people assent to the fact that there was a Jesus and that he lived on this earth and he did those things. But the issue is, did you put your personal faith in him? And are you saying to God, I can't get into heaven any other way except through Jesus. And today I am deciding to change my mind about that. And I'm changing my mind to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I can only get to the Father through him. And that I am putting my full faith and trust and confidence in the fact that he died on the cross to pay for my sins. And I'm forgiven and I have eternal life that's a faith the demons don't have even if they did it wouldn't help them there's no redemption for demons but there is for people because God loves you and God wants you to be his child hope you've made that decision if not you can do it right where you're at you just simply say Jesus I believe I'm a sinner and I believe you paid for my sins on the cross and I want to be your child and he'll save you let's pray Heavenly Father I ask that you would be with us as those who live in this world where Satan has not been bound yet, not completely, and not until uh, he is bound for the millennial kingdom will he and his demons be unable to affect our lives in any way or the lives of unbelievers. And yet, in the millennial kingdom, by the end of it, Satan will be released and he'll be able to gather many nations to war against the Lamb and his children as they're worshiping you in the holy city. And what that means is we don't really need Satan or demons to be wicked and evil and uh, to do wicked and evil things. It's our fallen sin nature that still hangs on in us, our flesh. And with the unbelievers, that nature's never been changed and uh, it's never become a godly nature. We know what it's like to fight sin. And without the enemy, we can still uh, be evil. Without the enemy, we will still uh, end up in hell. 
if we don't make you our Savior and trust in you. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here that has not done that, that they would contemplate the great grace and love and power of Jesus and that they would succumb to that and by faith put their trust in you. And I thank you in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.